You're listening to The Journey Podcast. The Journey is a college and young adult ministry of Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Thanks, brother. Hey, I'll give it a hand for our band. All right. Such an amazing thing to be able to just come in here and have just a team of worship leaders that just point us to Jesus uh, every week, Tuesday and Sundays. Uh, thanks, guys, for what you do. Hey, um, week five of 1 Corinthians, y'all, y'all liking it? Yeah, y'all hanging in there? So, some, some deep stuff, some good stuff, good for us as we, we talk about being better before bigger, right? And so I hope thus far, as we've kind of casted this vision up here, just right behind me, better before bigger, that some of the things we should learn, chapter one, then just growing in grace, being, being good encouragers. Chapter two, just having a better understanding of what it looks like to, to be, a, to be a, a Christian who shares the gospel well, and, and kind of whatever that looks like. And moving to chapter three, that, hey, when there's divisions and things that we can disagree upon, rather than fighting with each other, we, we fight for unity, right? There, the fight stays there. It's just not with each other. It's, it's for unity. And last four, Brother Zach, y'all give it up for him. Did a great job. That's not bringing the word. Man, just amazing, several amazing blessings for me just getting to hear uh, God speak through him. Um, and really, the, the message was act like a Christian. And really, up to this point, I can kind of summarize what Paul's saying, right? He's kind of saying, hey, guys, like, act like a Christian. These are some things I want to address to kind of straighten you out. And so tonight, man, we're, we're going to, there's a transition that happens. And, and tonight... Paul's going to start addressing some things that if you thought maybe they were a little bit hard, you know, up to now, like, y'all better hang on, all right? Like, Paul's going to get real, he's going to get heavy, and so I'm telling you now, um, my tone is, is not going to be Paul's tone, because I don't want to scare any of you out of here, <laughs> all right? But um, we're, we're dealing with some some real life issues that happen in a real church. And so I, I want you to be excited about it because there's, there's redemption and we see the gospel in it. We see how Jesus redeems it. So by way of introduction, um, I remember a day whenever I was in eighth grade, which was about 14 years ago. I'll let you do the math from there. Um, sitting in a classroom, and it was an algebra class. A lot of us had had good test scores, and so that day, our teacher had planned for us to have kind of a pizza party. The class ended around lunchtime. I was really excited about that, but the thing about this is our teacher was kind of a laid-back guy. I think Caitlin knows his name was Mr. Hopple. You remember Mr. Hopple? Yeah, kind of a laid-back guy, kind of a crazy guy. We got away with everything in that class, and like, literally fill in everything. Like, just think of something, all right? Uh, I don't know how, he's still teaching. Uh, I don't know how. Um, so if you're thinking about moving to Sweetwater, maybe homeschool, all right? Like, because he's still a teacher there. Um, so, man, one of the things that we like to do is just cut up with, with our friends. And so about that time, give you more context, um, a newer version of a, of a movie and a character that's been out for years named Fat Albert had come back out. Anybody know what Fat Albert Okay, I'm so glad. I was like, they're gonna know what I'm talking about? So look, the essence of Fat Albert is that he is what? Fat, okay, right? So like if, if Fat Albert goes on a CrossFit diet or does the whole 30, like he's just not funny anymore, right? And so that's the essence of it. And so how does he usually enter any space that he goes into? You know what he says? 
right? Yeah, that's how it is. See, it's funny, like, it's good. So just caveat, not, not making fun of the, the fact that he's, he's fat. This is comedy, all right? It's a good space. I was kind of chubbier as a kid, and so got made fun of. That's not my goal here tonight. Just thought I'd let you know. But Fat Albert is a funny character, all right? And the essence of his, his comedy is that he's a fat guy that walks around and says, hey, 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 right? Okay, so we're good there, right? Spend a lot more time on that than I plan. Just laying lay a foundation. So I decided in a moment in a class where we were always cutting up, in a moment of kind of silence fell, I was like, here is my chance to be the funny guy. And it was silent. And, and I went, hey, hey, hey. And no one laughed. Uh, kind of like sometimes in here. Um, I'm not joking. Um, and so I don't tell jokes that I don't think are funny. Does that make sense? Like, so I laugh at my own jokes. Nothing wrong with laughing at your own jokes. I'd be terrible at stand-up because they're kind of supposed to be like there and let you laugh. And so I was laughing my head off at this, and no one else was laughing, but I didn't notice that they were kind of looking behind me at this angle. And some of my buddies were you know, kind of like this. Guys, I kid you not, I'm not making this up. I turn around, and apparently simultaneously, as I had said, hey, 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 the Domino's pizza lady, who, let's say she, I think she probably had some free pizzas, um, has been, she had walked in immediately as I had said, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> and this was my reaction because I did not mean to do that all right I'm not a terrible person like done some things but like that that's just low that's messed up and so I show no sign of remorse because I'm like are you kidding me did you see that like and everyone else in the room thought that I had said it because she walked in the room but I'm the only one that realizes, and I think you're on my side. You're on my side, right? Like, I didn't know, all right? And so I'm not showing remorse. And my laid-back teacher who lets us get away with it, this ticked him off. Like, I've never seen him get mad. He got super mad at me. And the only time I've ever been sent to detention was that day for something I didn't even mean to do, right? And I didn't argue with it because I was laughing at the situation. I was like, who does this happen to? Like, God, you got a sense of humor, man. This is good. And I'm getting to use it 14 years later. So there we go. And so this poor lady over here, just, she walks in. You can imagine her face. I felt terrible. All right, even though I did not mean to do this, I saw just... The, the effect that it had on her. Um, and later on, I, after I kind of composed myself, I was like, oh, that was bad. So even though I didn't mean to, right, I crossed, I crossed the line uh, and it turned into something serious. Like, I, I should not do that. If I had actually meant to do that, for sure. Like, don't send that boy to detention. Like, kick him out of here. Like, teach, teach him a lesson. And so I tell you that story to kind of bring about the point is, do we understand the basic concept of, let's go back to school. I don't, I hope this doesn't happen much in college classes. Um, there is a line that we can cross, right? That necessitates a, a serious response. That makes sense? And so sometimes it's like me getting kicked out of class. 
Um, sometimes it's a student that does something so bad, maybe they bring something to school, fill in the blank, right? And they're like, okay, we're, we're kicking you out of the school entirely. Now, in, in the workplace, all right, we hope this doesn't happen. You're probably going to see it at some point. Sometimes employees cross that line, and it warrants serious action, right? Office fans here, when the Andy punches the wall first time, second time, they kind of remove him from the office for a little bit, give him some anger management, and, he, and another time he goes on like a, a, like a trek with a bunch of like I don't know, middle schoolers. I don't know, it's really weird. And so like, he crossed the line, they removed him. I just had to fit the office in, you're welcome. Um, he crossed the line and there were consequences for that. And so y'all get that, right? We, we know that whenever people do certain things that may be destructive or harmful uh, to themselves, but, but even to others, that that warrants a, a response to where we may have to take some serious action. We have to take it seriously, right? And so... I think that we understand that kind of maybe in a secular realm. But here's the deal, just looking, especially in our modern church culture, I think for whatever reason, we're really confused with how to deal with issues whenever people that are in the church, whether truly believers or or people that are are not believers that just happen to be in church groups or ministries, we, we don't really know how to deal with that, like when someone crosses the line. I would say, by and large, unfortunately, even though we should be the best at this, a lot of times we sweep these things under the rug. Like we, as a church, we really struggle with this because, man, this is supposed to be a place of grace, right? Like, yeah, I, I know, but man, like, man, we just, we just want to love that guy. Or, yeah, she, she does that all the time, but man, she crossed the line there, but it's a place of love. And, and so that's all true, all right? But are we holding the truth that we're supposed to be a place of love and tension with all the other things that it means to be a church? And so that's where I'm going to land on. What tonight, like how do we deal with this, right? How seriously are we supposed to be and, and go about when maybe another brother or sister or someone that we hope is another brother or sister crosses that line? It's very clear. They become destructive. They're, they're causing some damage with, with themselves and with others in the church. And so as always... Um, because I think I heard someone ask, hey, what do we do? And so th- thanks for asking that. Um, as always, uh, the Apostle Paul is going to give us some great answers, all right? So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and part of 6 tonight. And, and here's the deal. I, a lot of you know this. I, w- I was talking to JT before uh, the, we started tonight. And when they received this letter, did you know that they didn't open it? on Sunday morning and say, this week we're going to be in chapter five of Paul's letter. Like, when they got this letter, they read it all at one time. You know that? And sometimes they read it several times and they pass it around. A lot of Paul's letters got circulated. And so here's what's kind of unfair is that for all of us is we come in after a week from hearing about 1 Corinthians and we have to try to remember everything that Paul wrote. But when the original reference heard it, they heard it all in one big chunk. And it made sense. They had everything in context. So, you know, you ever get like a, a text from somebody and you accidentally delete that text and you're like, oh man, what did they say? Where are we supposed to meet? Or, oh man, like maybe, hopefully you don't ever ask anyone out over text. It's okay if you do. But like somehow that gets deleted. You're like, that's not good. I forgot the context of that. And so whenever we meet like this weekly, it's a good thing. But what we need to do tonight is we need to read a bigger chunk. Does that make sense? Just to really understand, here's where we are in Paul's letter. So let's begin reading 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. 
is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Now skip down to verse nine of chapter six. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All right. All right, stop. <laughs> Woo. Aren't you glad you came tonight? Yeah. My goodness. All right. I give up. Let's just pray, man. Like, y'all. No, hey, I'm telling you, Paul, is Paul, though, is this not serious, right? Do you see Paul's serious tone? But is it not pretty, like, simple, the conclusion that he makes Right, I know it's hard to take in, but basically, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, here's some problems you have in the church. He, he lists a few things, sexual immorality, greed, idolatry. If you look at the beginning of chapter six, like they were suing each other, like over probably dumb stuff, even though they're Christians and they should be able to work things out. Like all these problems going on. And he's saying all of this sin and specifically the situation of this man, okay, He's saying, get this out of the church. Remove it. The man in question, all of the rampant, unrepentant sin that's going on amidst you, he's saying, remove it. Is that fair? Is that a, is that a simple summary? He says straight up about this guy, there, there's no liberal scholar that can change the meaning of what's being said here. I mean, it's straight up. He's saying, kick this guy out of the church. Now, hold on a minute. Paul, where, man, where's, where's, the, 
where's the grace, brother? Church is supposed to be, man, a loving community. We, we welcome one another. Man, Paul, why are you, why are you so serious, right? Like what, why is Paul treating these issues like this? Because we've already covered this and you've already seen this experience. You can maybe, man, hopefully you don't relate with this for yourself, but man, I can tell you just being in ministry for about 10-ish years or so, I have seen multiple instances where, you know how we've handled things in the church? Oh, man, it's fine. He can still come. The best treatment I've seen a lot of times is sort of this, y'all ever start just ignoring that person at church that's done something bad and they still come? You know what I'm talking about. You do that. Yeah, even on small scale, all right? This, this is a big scale problem. I'm thinking like small things like, she's now going out with his ex-boyfriend. I don't like that. And like all the other girls are over there and they're like, they're in their little group and they're kind of every now and then just looking over just to make sure that that girl knows that she's out, right? And so the best treatment I've seen is kind of this passive aggressive, but not really dealing with it. Paul didn't have that problem. He deals with it. And so here's the deal. Paul is very serious about this. And I asked the question earlier, how are we supposed to go about it? And here's the deal. I don't know what all background that you've come from, but I can tell you here and what has been believed by the majority of Christians, when I say majority, I mean like 90 plus percent of Christians sent from the beginning is that this Bible, we also refer to as the word of God, is perfect and complete. And if you truly understand it and are able to read things in context, without a doubt, you will see it is without error. And so what I'm saying is that Paul didn't make a mistake. Like God's not up there like, oh man, I can't believe they put that in the scripture. Well, we'll, we'll fix it someday in heaven. We'll, we'll correct it. Guys, what's beautiful about this, and what I want you to be encouraged and take a deep breath when we read things like this, is like, it's, it's okay. This is supposed to be in here. Some people criticize the Bible, say it's unrealistic, or, or they hide some things that are the truth about Christianity. I'm like, have you read this chapter? <laughs> like, like the Bible sort of puts it all out there. There are so many things in Old Testament and New Testament. It just lays out there. It says, here is humanity. Here is our story. We do some messed up things. If you didn't catch the messed up things, after this, go back and read the first two verses of chapter five. I'm not gonna read it again, all right? And so because this is God's word, it's perfect. We know that Paul got it right. The way that he's looking at this text, the way he's not looking at the text, he wrote the text. The way he's looking at this situation is the way that we should. And so really, the question that we should be asking tonight, as difficult as this is, what we should be asking is why should we take this seriously? Is that fair? Because everything in this book is applicable to us today. So why should we take this seriously? I want you to jump to verses nine and 10 of chapter six. The first reason that we should take this seriously is because the unrighteous do not inherit the kingdom of God. It says this, so you do not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. All right? Rather than going into a definition of all those things, he covered a pretty broad spectrum. All right? Like somewhere in there, like you've, 
you've probably been guilty of at least one of those things to, to some extent, all right? He covers, let's just say, all sin is unrighteousness. Is that fair? And so the reason that we take this seriously is because these type of actions done in a way that's a consistent pattern, without remorse, without repentance, thus labels whoever is in question as not made righteous in Christ, but unrighteous. They're bearing the fruit of someone who does not know Christ, right? And so I wanna, I wanna give you a caveat here. Um, God is not surprised if you read that and it's like, man, that's, that's me, I do that sometimes, right? Like God's not surprised, he knows. I, I'm not surprised. No one's surprised. And so what, what are we talking about? Is, are we being called unrighteous? Did Paul just condemn all of us to hell? Do you see how that, it could seem like that at first? Like, no one will inherit the kingdom of God. And let me just ask, what's the opposite of the kingdom of God? What's the opposite of heaven? Hell. They're saying the unrighteous will inherit hell. Seen those movie scenes where this guy has a rich grandpa and he knows he's gonna get a great inheritance and then they're sitting in the room after the grandpa's died and they play the video and the grandpa's like, yeah, you're not getting anything. And he's like, What? There's like several movies like that, so just, yeah, you, you put, put the pieces together. And so here's the deal. How bad would it be for even some of us to find out that our inheritance isn't the kingdom of God right there standing before God someday, right? That's serious. We, we, we don't want that. And so the caveat that I wanna make to you is, is I, I want you to, this to be sobering, but here's the difference. There is a difference between someone that is practicing these things, who their whole life is immersed in it, and, and someone who struggles, okay? So I uh, met with Matt Amaru the other day, and uh, he was talk, telling me, where's Matt at? There he is. We were, we were talking about basketball, and like the dude, like he, he had a game, and then he also went last night after his intramural game to play basketball. Like Matt, he is a basketball player. And not just because he's good, although he is, but he plays all the time. He loves the sport. Okay, I am not a basketball player, all right? I dabble in it. I, I try to play. And if you went on Monday, the, the Monday that I was there, you know I'm not a basketball player. Not only did not make one basket, I wasn't even within three feet of making one basket, all right? So there's the difference. And so take that concept. There's a difference between that you're so immersed in a sin, it's almost your identity. Like you're practicing it. You're, you almost arrange your schedule and your life around it. It's totally immersed. I'm gonna flesh this out. We're gonna, man, the, the Bible right here threw out some sins. Let's, the, the, the sin of succumbing to pornography. There's a difference between struggling with that and, and truly feeling remorse about it and then someone coming to me, it's like, yeah, I struggle Monday morning, Monday night, Tuesday morning. It's like, whoa. Wow, okay, man, I don't, know, I don't know if you're struggling. I think if you were really remorseful about it, man, we could, we could do better in this. And, I, and I'm giving, being a warning, same thing with, with relationships um, that, that we have w with each other. I'm talking about like boyfriend, girlfriend relationships, right? And that, man, maybe there's a time where you struggled, you just put yourself in a spot where you shouldn't have been alone and this this thing, this happened, you went too far, and, and we all know what that looks like. God gives us a conscience. And there's a difference between that and uh, a weekly or every couple of day type thing. Like you continue to just 
fail and fail and fail, like you're not feeling any remorse for your actions. Y'all see that? You see, you see the difference? Like nod your head if yes, because I think that this is really important to clarify. And so I was talking with Brandon about this and Holly Beatonbow has an amazing quote that she shared. She said that everyone walks in the mud every now and then, but it's a totally different thing to sit down and wallow in it. You got that? Everyone struggles with sin, but let's bust out of West Texas. Don't sit down there and wallow in it, son. All right? So what Paul is condemning is He's not condemning those that you've done this once or truly in your heart, you feel remorseful about it. What he's saying is that the unrighteous, those that continue to show patterns of no remorse, they have no care for the fact that God has called us not only in grace to be saved, but to holiness. They seem to show consistent patterns of they could not care less about living in righteousness and pleasing God with their lives. So we should take this seriously because the unrighteous do not inherit the kingdom of God. And the second reason, we should take this seriously because if left unchecked, a little bit of unrepentant sin can damage or possibly destroy the church. My wife, Caitlin, she likes to make homemade bread for us every now and then. Um, and as you can tell, I've enjoyed that bread. Um, really good. And so here's the deal though. Guys, it just takes a little bit of yeast to, to mix in that bread and make it rise We've had that yeast for years. Like, I don't know how long we've had it. I was looking in the fridge the other day. Like, is that still the same little can of yeast, right? So it just takes a little bit of it. She's made a, a lot of bread. I've eaten a lot of bread. Still the same can, all right? So the concept that Paul wants to show us in chapter five, it should be chapter five, six through eight, he's saying a little bit of leaven in, in bread leavens the whole lump, and so it doesn't take a lot of, of yeast or leaven in bread to, to make it leaven or make it to rise. Y'all see that? And so what Paul's drawing out here is that it's the same idea with unrepentant sin. He's saying it doesn't take a lot. He's saying just, just a little bit. It's like kind of put that yeast there in that bread and let it rise. So in the way, check this out. And the way that just a little bit of yeast in bread makes problems arise, just a little bit of unchecked, unrepented sin in our lives cause a lot of problems to rise in our lives, in the church, and can be destructive. And so God has called us to what? Starts with an H, ends with holiness. <laughs> holiness. He's called the church to be holy. And so God takes very seriously that we not let this go unchecked. He wants us to, to guard the church, he wants us to guard our own hearts. He wants us to realize that the sin that we so often sweep under the rug and leave unchecked is, can be like a deadly virus to us and to each other. And so the reason that we should take this seriously, one is the unrighteous do not inherit the kingdom of God. We wanna warn against this. This is serious, this is important. Second, if left unchecked, a little bit of unrepentant sin can damage or possibly destroy the church. And third, is that we want everyone that is in the church to be saved. We want them to, to know that everyone here is truly a Christian. So this is um, chapter five, verse five. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. 
you don't only read part A of that verse because you're gonna be really confused. What was happening is that Paul, they had been trying, I believe in the context, trying to get this man to repent and he just wouldn't. They said, remove him. And I think what Paul hoped is that the shock of seeing all these people that love me, other brothers and sisters that are supposed to give me grace as God has given us grace, even them, they're removing their hands of affirmation from me and saying, with the way you're acting, there's no way we can affirm you as a believer. Like, there's no fruit in you, brother. We, we have to remove our hands from you and hand you over to Satan. It's not like literally Satan's right there and we're like, all right, here you go. He's got his little pitchfork and he's like sticking him like, hey, thanks. He's walking off. All right. Please don't. I don't think anyone thinks that way, but if you did, now you know. Um, it's, it's putting them back in the world. It's saying you are not, not to be exclusive in a hateful way, but you, you just can't be among us. There's no way you are one of us with this. And so here's the beauty. What we in the church are called to do is we want everyone, as much as we can, this is not just pastors and leadership, we wanna check and make sure that everyone's safe. So cool story, I was in Guatemala in 2014 leading um, a group of students that were in high school. Now, very stressful leading anyone under the age of 18 even to Walmart, okay? Fair? <laughs> to another fair, right? Yeah, uh, there's a reason I'm a college minister now. I'm just joking, I'm just joking. Hey, um, some truth to that. So when you're in Guatemala, when you're another country, in another country, the stress level rises. So I'm, I'm wanting to check and make sure they've got everything. And so after a stressful week of constantly checking on them, making sure they're okay, we're outside the terminal. I'm double checking their tickets. I'm double checking their passports that somehow expire, even though we told you 20 million times to make sure it wouldn't expire. I mean, every single thing, I'm just checking and making sure. But you know why? It's because I want them to make it home safe. I want them to get on that plane and, and make it home safe. To when they arrive to their final destination, we're all together and we make it home safe. And guess what? Christians, brothers and sisters, if we care about each other, we want to check on each other and make sure that we make it to our heavenly home safe. Does that make sense? That's what's being said here. And it's beautiful. And here's the thing. This is not only about rampant sin and, and like, man, brother, like you're, you're in it. This is not only about maybe what we would call removing someone from the church. This is also about just being good at checking on each other, Right? So let me give you an example. Caitlin and I, we try once a week to do something we just call heart check. We don't do it perfectly, but, but we call it heart check. And we say, hey, hey babe, how's your heart? And just kind of check. And what we wanna do is we wanna make sure we're doing okay in our personal spiritual life. But we also wanna make sure, hey, is our marriage doing okay? Is our marriage, what state is our marital relationship in? So I think you can translate that in, into how brothers and sisters check on each other. Hey, I wanna check on your relationship, right, with Christ. Like, like, how is that going? Do you, do you feel distant from him? Do you feel close? Are you, are you struggling? What are you doing? And just a side note on this, it's the beauty of this passage. It's multifaceted. I think the church is a place where like, if you are struggling, we're not talking about sin. We're talking about maybe some just some dark things, right? Just some, some sadness or, or depression or debilitating anxiety or you've gone through some life circumstances. Maybe it's, it's, it's a death or it's a life transition that's just really hard. This is the place where you, you come, right? Like, I, I love the idea of, of having counselors and just, just wise people pouring into you, but we want this to be a place where you can do that. That makes sense? 
And so I think the concept of us checking on each other and loving each other enough to make, hey, you, you're not only making it safe home, but you're enjoying the journey, hashtag journey, right? That, that you're doing well on the journey. So we take this seriously, again, because the unrighteous, they do not inherit the kingdom of God. We, we don't want to see that in our midst if left unchecked, it's, it's damaging, it can affect the church, it can destroy the church. If, number three, we, we want everyone to be saved. That's our heart's desire. And lastly, we, we take this seriously because of chapter six, verse 11. We take this seriously because that's not who we are anymore. Check this out, this is so important. When you read, 1 Corinthians 5 and 6 again, all right, I want you to notice how Paul ends this little section. Y'all check this out. And such were, did you say are? If you're in Texas, and such was some of you, right? But you were washed you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So washed, it means that our, our sins in Christ, believers, have been washed away. That instead of all the nastiness, maybe some of this unrighteousness that we read, when God looks at us in Christ, he does not see those things. He sees us justified. He sees us sanctified. He sees us washed. So that when he looks at us, he does not see that greed and, and immorality and, and fighting and that pride and that anger, whatever it is that you struggle with, right, as a Christian. You know what he sees? Starts with the J, ends with Jesus. There you go. He sees the righteousness of Jesus, that we have been justified. That's a way of saying, it's a courtroom term, being made right with God. We've been given as a gift, not only fire insurance, not only just neutrality with God, but made right with a God who, yes, loves us so much, but at the same time is infinitely holy and righteous and perfect and demands that as a standard that we might have a relationship with him. And because that would remain severed because of who we are as sinners, not able to ever attain that righteousness, not even close, he sent his son Jesus to die for us. And in his death, he died the death that we deserve. And when he rose from the dead, he defeated death and hell for all time. That, that inheritance of hell, if you're a Christian, you don't worry about that. You move on, uh-uh, I ain't gotta worry about that. And now, not only that, not only neutral, he's paid the price, we have a relationship with God. You know what we've become? We've become children of God. That's what that inheritance is. Fathers and, and mothers give an inheritance to their children. That's the gospel. And so the reason that we take this seriously, brothers and sisters, is because when those actions are occurring, any list of what we just read, in an unrepentant manner, it's time to be reminded who you are. I think we have gospel drift. We treat the gospel as something that saved us when we were five or 10, and then now we're moving on to some deeper stuff, and that's not true. It stays with you. We remember who we are. Have you ever seen the movie Instant Family? 
that movie. It's where they adopt several foster kids. It's really funny. And so what happens is that uh, these foster kids come out of a situation where their household is, they don't have a lot of, lot of money. And so they didn't really experience things like Christmas, right, and birthdays. And so what these foster parents do is that they want to make this first Christmas just amazing and great. And so what they do is they, they just spend a ton of money on all these presents. I mean, a lot of money. Like he makes this really elaborate dollhouse, puts it together. And it, like any dad on the morning of Christmas, like super grumpy. You know why? This was up all night putting together your stuff, right? And so they got coffee. They're barely keeping their eyes open. And you know what the kids do? This is crazy. It blows my mind. Instead of playing with those toys, they ask where the box is that the toys came in. They, they want to play with the box. It's, it's because they grew up and their, their toys had to be things like boxes that their, their parents would maybe find on the street or something like that. They, they wanted the box. And so the essence of what they did is I think they, they forgot their situation. They didn't know how to, how to deal with it. Like, no, you're, you're brought out of that. You have, you have parents that, that love you now and want to give you good gifts and partake in it, but they kind of went back to their old ways. And I think that's what happens with us so much is that we forget who we are in Christ, that we have a loving heavenly father who's called us to something so good and sweet in the Christian life. And sometimes we can drift away from it. And so the encouragement again tonight, why is this so serious? It's not who we are anymore. So how do we know this works? Right? Is that a fair question to ask? How do we know that what Paul said actually works? What is, what is the hope in this? All right, this isn't easy. Nothing we covered tonight is easy. So y'all check this out. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Right here. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, he has been, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ so that we would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his designs. Do you know who he's talking about there? This person that he says to forgive and comfort and reaffirm? Y'all know? He's talking about that guy in 1 Corinthians chapter five. It worked. That because Paul took it seriously and actually cared for this guy's soul, it worked. He's restored that, that action of removing that affirmation from him and awaking him to what he was doing. It worked. And what does he say to do? In verses seven and eight, he says to forgive him, to comfort him, and reaffirm him. Remember when I said the action was just tripping up here. I said, taking that hand of affirmation off. So now what they're doing is they're welcoming him back in. What I read that, what I tell you that, is that we know this works, that God's word has this right. This is how, if we wanna be better before bigger, this is how we deal with these things. Nothing even in the same universe as some of the stuff that we just read tonight is happening in here. But some things that are similar 
sometimes can rise. And this is how the Lord God and his word has told us to handle these things. So as we close tonight, with all this being said, here's, here's the hope for the journey I think we have. I think the hope is that ultimately that all who enter this place, because of what we just read, because of what we can't deny is so true in God's word, is that all who enter this place and they make their home here at the journey would be truly saved. That we would not only walk with them in the journey, but we would love each other so much that we're constantly wanting to check on each other and love each other and encourage each other to make sure we make it safely home, right? Here's our hope for unbelievers. I don't know if you came in here tonight and you're like, and by the way, yeah, this is a tough night to come. This is an interesting text that we're reading. But our hope for unbelievers is that you, in the way that I describe, would turn to Jesus, believe in the gospel, and find your inheritance is, is not anything else but an eternity with God in heaven. I think that's the hope tonight. Here's our hope for believers. I think that as we wrestle with this text that our hope is that you would live a lifestyle of continual repentance. That you would remove that leaven. Here's the deal. Y'all pretend this is leaven, all right? It's about the size it would be if I was just kind of gonna put it in some bread. So here's the deal. A lot of you can't, you can't see this, can you? Like you maybe see it just a little bit. Kind of got fat fingers. I'm kind of blocking it for you, right? But just a little bit of this a little bit of this in your life can be detrimental. And even though you may not be aware of it or see it, God sees it and he's made it so clear tonight in his word to get rid of that. Just to, to remove that little bit of leaven, even though it's small, you couldn't even see it from where you are, especially at the back. Remove it out of, of your life and in your midst. And I think the other part of, and, and repentance and constantly removing that love, just keeping it out, anything that wants to creep in is remembering who you are. You're washed, you're sanctified, you're a justified Christian. And here's, here's our hope for all. The hope for all is that the banner of our lives would read, my greatest pleasure and purpose is found in Jesus. That if your life were a song that you would sing, that above all these things, things that we read above sin, that you're so tempted to be pulled back into, forgetting who you are, just like those orphans who didn't know how to embrace the adoption that they received from loving parents, that in that space, you would remember who you are and you would sing the song that in all things, anything that I'm tempted to be pulled back toward, that Jesus is better. As the band plays, we're gonna have some of us at the back and, and my hope is that you would respond tonight. And how do you respond tonight? How do you know how to respond? I think you ask yourself tonight, pray the prayer. God within my heart, looking at my life, is Jesus better than all things? And if not, make my heart believe. The band is about to sing a song with those words. And so make that your prayer to God tonight. We talk about better before bigger, but here's the deal. The best way to begin doing that is to truly know the one who is better and bigger than everything else in the whole world, and that's Jesus. Let's pray.
Father, I just thank you so much for, for these truths as we, we wrestle with them and we, we chew on them. God, we thank you for your, your grace in that, that you've reminded us who we are and who we aren't. We love you and thank you. I ask that you would help us tonight to respond properly, that we would bow our hearts before you, that we would ask that question, Lord, in my heart, in my life, is Jesus better? And if not, through repentance, maybe through faith in the gospel for the first time, we would cry out, Jesus is better. We pray this in his name, amen. Thanks for listening to The Journey Podcast. You can learn more about The Journey by checking us out on Instagram or Facebook. Just search for at the journey LBK.